Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're uh, singing of how great our God is. We have an, uh, we have an appropriate passage for that today. Amen. We're going to be uh, continuing our study in the in book of Revelation. Today we're going to read the entire chapter number 5. Can you find Revelation chapter 5? Would you please stand for reading God's word? All right. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which were the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, and priests are God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And I heard every creature in earth, and on earth, and under the earth, and in the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us here today and giving us this time together. Thank you for your word. What a treasure uh, we have. Hold in our hands today in the form of the Bible. Lord, please grant to us that we may be able to consider these things correctly. Lord, that our view of you and your majesty and your worth would increase. That we may... Uh, grow in our understanding of you and of your purpose for us in this world, that we may have a better uh, grasp of your working in the sense that we are um, part of something you are doing around the globe, a kingdom, priests that you have made unto yourself. Father, we, we pray, help us in understanding this passage as well as the rest of your word, help us to live day to day seeking to honor you in all that we do. Be glorified in us, we pray. 
And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, amen. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground quickly here. Um, And uh, somebody said, Brother Austin had you out on time last week, so uh, (laughs) I will see if I can uh, mimic that. And and, uh, we actually do need to uh, to, to leave early if we can anyway to get over to the, the prison and do some things and get over to the prison in time. So, a lot of ground to cover quickly. And so this is basically going to be uh, uh, an overview of chapter 5 because what I want to drive home here, and I, I think this is the, the correct thing to do anyway because I think this is what John is, is doing here, what the Lord is doing through John, is to drive home uh, one main point in particular and so that's where I'm going to focus my attention. And let me, let me just kind of sum it up this way uh, in terms of a main point. What is the main point of this section of the book of Revelation that we are at? And I would say it is this, the worthiness of Jesus. That is, I'll kind of put it in a, in a sentence here, Jesus has conquered all opposition and therefore has demonstrated His worthiness to complete the course of history bringing judgment upon all who oppose God and fullness of salvation to all His people. And therefore, He is worthy of the worship of all. That is, every single human being, as well as other creatures like we see here in the, in the, uh, in the vision, celestial beings, Every single human being, every such creature should be worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice in the beginning of this, um, and we're still in this, in this second vision, and you know, the, the book of Revelation, we call the Revelation, is, is a series of visions given to the Apostle John. And we're in the second one now, which starts back in the first part of chapter 4. And he's, he's gazing into... Um, the throne room, as it were. In fact, he's told in, in the first part of chapter 4, come up here and I will show you what, may, what must take place after this. So, so the vision begins there. And all of the focus goes on to the one who is seated on the throne. And, and if you remember, that's what we discussed two weeks ago. Um, and what we have there is a picture of God ruling, as I said before, um, actively and absolutely. In other words, the whole idea of being seated on the throne is the idea of, of God ruling and reigning. So, so that's where the focus goes. God rules and reigns. So after Jesus gives the seven letters to the seven churches of Asia, and you know, they're going through all of these different problems. Some of them are self-inflicted. You know, they don't have the right attitudes. They're not doing the right works and all these kinds of things. Uh, very much like us today, we, we have the same problems. And then also from the outside, they're getting persecuted so, in, in the midst of all this, what, what sometimes looks like chaos, you know, the things that go on in this world, that sometimes look like it's just spinning out of control and it's chaotic. In the midst of all of this, the Lord wants us to know that He is ruling and reigning actively. That is, He, he, he never goes to sleep. He never slumbers, as the Scripture says. He doesn't doze off. He doesn't, he doesn't excuse Himself for a few minutes and, and uh, you know, come back later and miss something. He's, he's always actively ruling 24-7 for us. In fact, He's not even bound by time. But for us, 24-7, we could say, and ruling absolutely. In other words, there is not a single thing 
out of his control. Not a single thing out of his control. Charles Spurgeon observed the, uh, um, the, the, the dust, you know, you know how you, when, when light is shining through a window, and we don't really have bright beams coming in here, but if, if we did have bright rays of sunlight, you know how you can see the little dust particles dancing around in the rays of sunlight. And Charles Spurgeon observed that, and he, and he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to this effect. He said, every dust particle dancing around in those beams of sun rays, the orbit of every dust particle is determined by the sovereign will of God just as much as the orbit of any planet in our solar system or all the planets in our solar system. God has all things under control. Sometimes I think about that, you know, when I'm in the yard and, I, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm watching something like a, you know, like a little tiny creature, like an ant or something like that, and watching what they're doing, wondering what they're doing. And, <laughs> and, I, and I'm reminded, you know, that even that little ant, and of course you can go far beyond that uh, to things that we can't even see, but even those things God has in His complete control. So he is seated on the throne, ruling actively and absolutely. Now, when you get to chapter 5, where we are today, the focus is still there. John says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Again, emphasizing the fact that he's ruling. And he has in his right hand a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Some of your versions you know, may say a book, but... But uh, it wouldn't be a, a, a book like, like we hold today in book form. It would be, uh, likely be a scroll uh, in the first century. So he sees a scroll, which was common for them, <laughs> rolled up. And it's written on both sides, which was a little uncommon, uh, probably just uh, conveying the idea of fullness there. Um, and it was sealed with seven seals. So you have seven seals across there, sealing the scroll, keeping it from being uh, unbound and un- unrolled. And he says, I saw a mighty angel in verse 2 proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal. So there's the picture. John sees the one seated on the throne. He's got a scroll in his right hand. And he hears an angel say, um, who is worthy to open the scroll? Now, just a, a couple things here about the scroll that I think is, is significant. And, and I'm, I'll, I'll try to explain this. Kind of, kind of looking ahead because I think we'll see this as we go forward. But what is the scroll? What is, what does it represent? What is the purpose of this, this, uh, the scroll that that the Almighty God is holding in His right hand as He is seated on the throne? And and uh, and by the way, usually in the in, in the Scripture when you see that term right hand, it's 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 a way of designating power, right? So it's, it's, it's in his grasp, it's in his grip, it's under his power. And though it's not explained here, there's a desire for it to be opened. But it has to be somebody who, who has earned the right to do that. Some, someone deserving. And that's why the angel cries out with a loud voice, who is, who is worthy? But what is, what is, and we'll get to that in a moment, but what, what does the scroll represent? Well, I, I, I think what, what's going on here, and I'm getting this from the, from the rest of the book, like I say, we'll have to see as we move along, but it seems to me to represent uh, the record of history all the way through to its fullness, including the just judgment of the world 
and the full and final salvation of the people of God. In other words, the scroll represents the consummation of the ages. That is, bringing history to its proper end. By end, I mean its fullness, its completion. So again, included in that, that is moving history and bringing it all the way to its completion, uh, included in that will be the final righteous judgment upon the world, and then... The, secondly, the full realization of, sal- of salvation for the people of God. So, I think, you know, as, as we move through the book of Revelation, you're going to primarily see those two things. You know, judgment on the world and reward for the people of God, or salvation for the people of God, or fullness of salvation for the people of God. You've heard me say uh, many, many times, salvation is a process. And I know uh, at times, I mean, that's cause people to scratch, scratch their head a little bit. But uh, what does he mean, a process? Well, what I don't mean by that is that, you know, like we're going to work our way in somehow, and the more, the more good works we do, eventually we'll be saved. No, that's not what I'm talking about at all. What I'm saying is God is doing a process, and it's over time. If you look at the big picture, it's over all of history. God is working out His plan, bringing a people to Himself, making... Um, out from among the people, making a, a, a kingdom, in fact, like it says here, a kingdom and priest out of every tribe, people, and nation. And even in terms of individuals, that is God's dealing with, with us individually, our salvation is a process. It, it begins all the way back before, um, you know, sometimes we say, oh, before I was even thought of. Well, you actually can't say that with God because he, he knew he thought of us all along. Uh, so all the way back in what we, we call eternity past, God back there somewhere, at least that's the best way we know to describe it, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's the way Paul says it in Ephesians 1. So all those whom he would save, he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. That'd be a great topic, but that's, you know, for another time, but. But uh, it starts back there. And then it moves along through time and space, history, where at some point in time, for, again, for you and I individually, at some point in time, God regenerates us. So He chose from the beginning to do this, and He's got us marked out, as it were. But at some point in time in our life, He breaks in and He regenerates us. That is, He gives us spiritual life. In a spiritual, spiritual sense, He raises us from the dead. He, he raises us out of spiritual death, which is separation from Him. And He raises us, raises us up to newness of life um, and spiritual life, which means that we are now in right relationship to Him through Jesus Christ, or through what Christ has done for us. So, so for us, for our, our experience in, in terms of time and space, where does our salvation begin? Well, it begins when we were regenerated. Born again is another way of saying that. You know, in, in John 3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, that unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is, you can't even perceive it. Unless he's born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So that's where it begins for us experientially. When we're born again. But that's, that's just the beginning, at least in terms of our experience. As I said, as far as God's concerned, it began way, way back in eternity past. 
But that's just the, the beginning. And so we start to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Him. That's what we call sanctification. That's what the Scripture calls sanctification. The sanctification process where we, we grow and we learn. And we learn to obey Christ. And more and more, day by day, we, we, uh, we um, learn to submit to Him and, and take on His will. That is, we learn more about Him and what His will is and, and our will is conformed to that. Until eventually, we get to the end of time and the return of Christ and our salvation is completed and fully realized. Now, a person who's been born again has eternal life now. That is, that is, the life that God has given us is eternal. It lasts forever. But we don't know the fullness of salvation in the sense, and what I mean by that is, is you know, we, we, we're still dealing with sin. We're still tr- struggling with, with temptation, um, sin in this world, sin inside of us. We're still struggling with that. We don't have our glorified bodies yet. Even people that have already, even Christians that have already died and left this world do not have their glorified bodies yet. They will not until the resurrection day. Um, so that's when our salvation is complete or fully realized. So it's a process. Well, I think that's represented by this scroll here. Now, not, not just on the individual level, but I mean the full picture. What God is doing in history, which is kind of summed up in, um, in verse 9. We'll come to this again in a moment. But worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. So... It is God bringing a people to Himself from every tribe, people, and nation. This is why we went to Mexico, and this is why thousands of Christians go places um, every day and, and have throughout Christian history. Because we're commanded to do that because God is calling a people to Himself from every ethnicity. So it doesn't matter what the skin color is. It doesn't matter what the language is. It doesn't matter what the fashion is. God is calling a people to Himself. And when the whole is done, there are going to be representatives there from every ethnic group. Every people. Every tribe. Every language and nation. Okay? So... The scroll seems to me to represent bringing everything to completion. That is, that is bringing history to its proper end, which will include, when we get to the end, which will include the final and full outpouring of the wrath of God upon the wicked, let me say that another way. The, the full outpouring of the wrath of God on unbelievers. Those who will not submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes when you use the term, terms like wicked, which is nothing wrong with using it, we, but, but sometimes when you use a term like that, what we tend to think that's somebody other than us. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not one of the wicked, you know. 
Um, that's the really bad guys, you know, like the Hitlers and the Husseins and so forth. But the wicked is just anybody who does not submit to Jesus as Lord, who does not follow Him, who has not been born again, who has not been regenerated. The world, in the book of Revelation, they, they are uh, rep- represented as those who, and usually in the English, it's those who dwell on, on the earth. You'll see that phrase quite a bit in here, and that's who it's talking about. The down dwellers, as opposed to those who are in the kingdom of God. Those who dwell on the earth and then the kingdom of God. So the, the two groups of people. All right, so the scroll represents bringing all of history to its proper end. Now, who is able to do that? So, here goes the, the proclamation from this, this voice. And it's amazing to me how, how many things are loud in heaven. I mean, you know, it makes a point of saying that several times. <laughs> That's awesome. It just A lot of times when somebody speaks or when there's a sound like a trumpet, it's loud. You know, the apostle says it's loud. So, here's a, uh, a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy? So, so the call goes out. Who is worthy to open the scroll? That is, who is, who is worthy? Who is deserving? Or who is able to bring history to its proper end? And think about the implications there. Two, two specifically we've mentioned, like with, with judgment. Who is able to bring justice in the world? I'm talking about the real deal. I'm not talking about... Um, what we we see a lot of times we uh, you know the other day this guy that was um, convicted of the the Boston bombing he was he, he was convicted and he was I, I guess he's been sentenced now I haven't even heard about the sentencing uh, last I heard they were trying to decide whether they were going to uh, sentence him to death or to life in prison but at any rate he was found guilty on all charges and so immediately what what you think in your mind you know you kind of go whew, you know justice. Thank goodness justice is done. Well, really, it's not. How many people did he kill? It was, it was three, I've forgotten now, three or four, 200 people injured. How do you, how do you, how do you get, how do you mete out a, a punishment that is actually equivalent so that you can say justice is done? When a guy flies an airplane into a building and kills 2,500 people, what do you do? Do you sentence him to death 2,500 times? There's, there's a guy on trial right now. He's 90-something years old. He was charged, I think it was with 30,000 counts of murder because he was a bookkeeper at Auschwitz during World War II. So what do you do? Do you, do you put him in the electric chair 30,000 times to achieve justice? Do you see what I'm saying? Humanly, it's impossible to get real justice. Now, there's a measure of justice. If this guy in Boston gets sentenced to death or even life in prison, there's, there's a measure of justice there. But you can't get full justice. Humanly, it's impossible. So who, so who is able to do that? And besides that, um, if that weren't enough of a problem, uh, the fact that we are not just just messes the whole thing up. Because whatever we do in those attempts is, is tainted by our own sin. You know, you think of the story of Jesus in John 8, where the woman is taken in adultery and everybody's ready to stone her, and Jesus says, let him who's without sin cast the first stone. Well, um, who among us is without sin? And we have the same problem they did. See, no, no, nobody 
among us is without sin. So our, our own ideas of justice even are often um, misguided. So who is, who is able to, to do this? Who is worthy? Who is able to bring justice? Who has earned that right? And what about the salvation of God's people? Who, who's able to do that? Who has earned the right to make a people unto God? To, to say to a group of people, um, you are now sinners, rebels, by the way, to say to a group of people, because of who I am and what I've done, you are now made right with God. Who, who is able to do that? Who has earned that honor or achieved that ability? Well, here, here comes the answer back. And I began to weep loudly. There again, John's weeping loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Interesting. Nobody was found worthy to open it. Nobody could even look in, into it. No, no man, no creature was able to bring history to its proper end, bringing full and right just judgment upon those who oppose God. No, no one is able to bring salvation to those whom God has chosen. Nobody was able to do that. They weren't not even able to look into those things. I mean, they're so far beyond us. And human beings are included here, of course, but it's not just human beings. You've got all these other celestial beings around the throne, and none of them are raising their hands saying, Oh, I can do that. I'm worthy. And so nobody was found. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the message of all of the Bible, isn't it? Listen, we are sinners. And there is not one person that has earned or can earn right relationship with God. We are, we are born rebels. That's how we come into this world. And apart from the mercy of God, that's how we stay. In fact, it just gets worse until we leave here. None of us are worthy. There's none who does good. No, not one. Paul says in Romans 3 and the psalmist says in Psalm 14. Not even one. So no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look on it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Now here comes the good news in verse 5. And this is where the focus is now shifting to. Weep no more. Behold. You see that? Uh, the, the eyes have been on him who sits on the throne, and now he's, he's got the scroll in his right hand, and they're looking for somebody worthy to open the scroll and, and to uh, set things in motion, or, or maybe we should say to keep things in motion, bringing all of history to its proper end. And so now one of the elders says, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Th- those are, are messianic... Um, Phrases. I mean, they, they, they're, they're uh, terms for the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, the Jewish Savior. The first one comes out of Genesis 49, when Jacob is blessing his sons. It's part of the blessing that, that, uh, that he pronounces upon Judah. And, and here is the fulfillment. You know, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then Isaiah 11, um, the Messiah is referred to as the root of David. Well, again, here's the fulfillment in Jesus. He's, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one to whom uh, rule belongs. The, the scepter, the rule, 
kingship. He's the one to whom it belongs that Jacob was talking about in Isaiah in, a, in Genesis 49. And he's the root of David. He's the offspring of David who is rightful heir to the throne. And so the elder says, look at him. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. That is, he is worthy because he has conquered. Well, what did he conquer? He conquered sin, didn't he? A perfect obedience to the Father. He never, he never once slipped up. He never once rebelled. He lived a full life as a human being in perfect obedience, conquering all of temptation. He was tempted, the writer of Hebrews says, he was tempted in all points just as we are, yet without sin. That is, he never ever gave in to temptation. He overcame. He conquered. The word there is Nike. It's where we get our, our word Nike. He's, he's a conqueror. Because of that, he's worthy. And he conquered death, right? The, the grave was not able to hold him down. He conquered spiritual death. He conquered physical death. Death had no long-term claim on him. The only reason he, he had to die, he had to die because he had to die for our sins. But because he had no sin of his own, he was able to pay the full price for all of the sins of all of his people. And then death could no longer hold him. And he came out of the grave showing himself to be the Son of God. Paul says in Romans, he was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection of from the dead. So so he conquered, he conquered sin and death, and because of that he is worthy. And John says in verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb. Isn't that amazing? You got a a, a lion like lamb. I mean those two things just don't seem to go together, but they do come together in the person of Jesus Christ. As the ultimate sacrifice you know, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who, who went without a sound, without any resistance to the cross, to suffer and to the cross to pay for our sins. But He's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the rightful heir to the throne, the Messiah, the King, King of kings, Lord of lords. So there you have represented in the Lion His, his rule. And John says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That doesn't seem to go together either, does it? But it's because he was raised up. He was slain, but then he was raised up again from the dead. So he's standing. Standing, you, you know, you would expect it to say laying there as though he had been slain. But no, it's standing <laughs> as though, as though he had been slain. Maybe he says as though he had been slain because he still bore the marks. So he's, he's standing, but there was evidence of his sacrifice. And he goes on to say, and he went, uh, I'm sorry, he had seven, seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, verse 7, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. 
and they sang a new song. So, so here, here's where the, the worship just breaks out. Because this lamb, the Lion of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered. And because he has conquered, he is worthy. And so that's what the new, the new song says. And you've got the, the, uh, the 24 elders here, um, and the, and the four living creatures, verse 8 tells us, singing this new song. And here it is, uh, in the remainder of, uh, in verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For, notice that, because what, he, what he's giving here is a, a reason. In other words, because, because you are worthy because you were slain and by your blood, it's a reference to his death, his death on the cross, you are worthy because you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In other words, you, you have successfully done these things. You, you were slain and then in your death, in the completion of your sacrifice, you ransomed the people unto God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. So, so because of these things, because you've overcome, because you've conquered, because you've accomplished the will of God, you are worthy to take the scroll. That is, you are worthy to bring history to its proper end. Which again includes judgment on all who oppose God and reward for all of God's people. And then rightfully so, the praise just continues to break out. Verse 11, Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels. So now you got, in addition, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature, now it's expanded out even further, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Why? Because He's worthy. Because He's conquered. And the whole emphasis here, and the reason we go back, you know, the, the reason the question came out, who is worthy, and we had this moment of, uh-oh. <laughs> no, nobody's stepping forward. Nobody's raising their hand. No, nobody's saying, this guy over here or that one. We had this moment of, uh, that looked like despair. You know, no, no one's worthy. And it was to emphasize the point that only one is. No, no creature, right? No human being or any other creature is deserving or is able to bring justice. And no human being, no other creature is able to bring a people into right relationship with God, providing forgiveness for sins and righteousness that enables us to be justified before Him. So all the praise goes to Him. Worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. And then 
to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And verse 14 says, The four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And they said, that's right. That's true. That's right. That's correct. So, so be it. This is the truth. And the elders fell down and worshipped. That is, they worshipped the Lamb. There's a sense in which we're all headed to the same point. Here's what I mean by that. Um, We'll all stand before Christ at the last day. He's the only one worthy to judge. And whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, whether you are a follower of Christ or not. You might even be a Christian by name. You might even say, I'm a Christian, I've been a Christian 50 years. and I'm... But, but if you're not following Christ, then you're not a Christian. You're just wearing the name. And that's, by the way, what the Lord was... That's what the command, commandment was focused toward. Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. That's exactly what it means. Whether you're a believer, a true believer, or an unbeliever follower of Christ or not, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for every one of us, the, the, the only hope, for any, for any person, the only hope is the work of Christ, what Jesus has done at Calvary. It's what, what they're referring to here in their song. You ransomed a people. By your blood, that is, by His sacrificial death at Calvary, you ransomed a people for God. So, Here's the thing. We all start out as sinners in rebellion against God. And God, through the sacrifice of His own Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, has provided salvation for all who will believe on Him. That is, obey Him, follow Him. And there is no other way. Nobody else is worthy. Jesus is bringing justice, full, complete justice in the last day. And He is bringing the fullness of salvation for all of His people. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one worthy of our full devotion and praise. So the question is today and will be then, where do you stand with Him? Do you know Him as Savior? Do you know that He died to pay for your sins? Do you know that He's coming back for you? Do you know that you'll spend eternity with Him? Because there is no other salvation. It's Him and Him alone. And if you do not submit to Him, you will face His wrath. The line of the tribe of Judah will be unleashed, and I'm telling you, Nobody will be able to stay His power. And if you do submit to Him by the grace of God, then the sacrifice of the Lamb will be the price of your penalty. I mean, in other words, it's, it's paid. It's paid in full. And, you, and you'll be among this crowd that is ransomed by Him, by His death, to God as a kingdom 
and priests to Him. Would you stand, please? My prayer for you today, anybody in this room that may not know Him, is that you would submit, surrender to Him today before it's too late. I mean, we're not not guaranteed one more minute. And He's a great Savior. He's the only Savior. And uh, precious Lord. And the only way of salvation. Well, let's pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and, Lord, for this whole plan of redemption that You and Your great wisdom devised to bring glory and honor to Your name and salvation to Your people. And what a tremendous blessing it is to know that it's extended to all people regardless of nationality, skin color, ethnicity, geographic location. All are commanded to repent and follow Christ. Lord, I do pray if, if there is anyone in this room today who does not know You, Lord, open their heart to Your truth, to Your salvation. May they know You as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we ask, don't let them rest until they do. Again, we thank You and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.